We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to A Taste of Romamu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romamu, please visit romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. The reading this morning, the reading this morning can be found in your Machzorim on page 206. 206. 207, I'm sorry. 200. And nine, 209. Okay. Jeff, we have to start right now. Let's start. Start the one right before, please. Right before. Okay, that's fine. Here we go. Last night we began with a general assumption. For those of you who are not with us, I'm going to connect you to what we did last night and then bring you forward into this morning. We began last night with the story of the Golem of Prague, a famous legend about a rabbi who lived in Prague named Yehuda Lau who, because of the pogroms and because of the danger of the Jewish people, needed to engage in magic, in abracadabra, speaking and creating with his speech. He brought forth the Sefer Yitzirah, the book of formation, and using its incantations and its magical formula, behaved as God did in the creation myth of our people and created Abra, created Kedabra with his speech, a golem, a monster who imbued with all human characteristics except the one divine gift called speech, protected the endangered people from their enemies, their oppressors. And according to the legend, this golem was animated continued to be because of three letters that were written across its forehead. Those three letters were emet, truth. Emet, aleph, mem, taf. And as we spoke about last night, Mary Shelley's work, Frankenstein, undoubtedly drew from this legend, undoubtedly drew from the legend of both the power of the human mouth to speak life into being and the power of human hubris to imagine that it could create something that powerful without shadow without problems without conflict and without potential dangers last night i introduced those who were there and now for you the work of uh, someone named richard carson who wrote a book called taming your gremlin taming your gremlin It was a book that 
at first glance seems fanciful and kind of like a children's book. It's a book that you just give to your kid, has all kinds of weird-looking monsters. But in fact, it's a simple method, he calls it, for human happiness. A simple method for human happiness. He goes on to call out three moments, three practic practical or practices, practicum, that are necessary for taming our gremlins. I'm going to go over those in a moment, but, <laughs> but first, I told a story last night about my own dealing with monsters when I was a little boy, that I went into a closet where I thought there was a monster, and my grandparents, who were sleeping over that night, my Nana and Papa, Joe and Nana, Ellie, they walked me into the room to open the door and show me that there was no monster there. So I thought it would be instructive for us to take a chance together today, and um, I thought this would be the best way to animate and tell you a little bit about the Taming Your Gremlin methodology. Love is the only thing that can save this poor creature. And I am going to convince him that he is loved even at the cost of my own life. No matter what you hear in there, no matter how cruelly I beg you, no matter how terribly I may scream, do not open this door or you will undo everything I've worked for. Do you understand? Do not open this door. Yes, Doctor. <laughs> nice working with you. The first stage of tshuva, the first stage of transformation we discussed last night is open the door. A willingness to say that with love, even though there's a monster in that closet, even though there's a monster in that room, the likelihood is, is that I created it myself. My own hands, my own thoughts, my own actions, my own patterns. And the first moment 
of truth-seeking and transformation that is related to truth is a willingness to open the door. To simply notice, says Rick Carson, how it is that I am the way that I am. Without truth and a willingness to open the door and to even acknowledge that there is a problem or a monster or a gremlin or suffering in that place. There can't be the beginning of tshuva, of repair, of return, of transformation. Nothing will change until it becomes what it is, said Fritz Perls. Oh, me, I don't have a drinking problem. Oh, me, I don't have a kid who needs special help. Who, me, I don't have an anger problem. It's not, it's only with my workers. It's only with my family. They get it. Who, me, I don't ever other other people. Me, I'm liberal. I'm progressive. Those are not my issues. It's happening outside of me. It's all out there. It's all out there. The beginning of tshuva, the beginning of our work is to begin to notice with simple clarity and honesty and with radical courage that there might be something in there that needs my love and attention that I have to turn myself towards. Love is what that creature needs. But herein, in simply noticing and facing the truth of our lives, we come up against a problem. Tshuva, as Maimonides in the, 13th, in the 12th century told us, Ezehi tshuva gmura, what is complete tshuva, complete turning? She who once more had it in her power to repeat a violation, a mistake, a pattern. But separated herself therefrom and did not do it because of tshuva, of turning. Not out of fear, and not out of weakness or lack of strength. Year in and year out, I stand here on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. This is God bless me, the 12th year. And for many of you, maybe it's from 49, 49 years of tshuva ink. Give or take five here and there for being a kid. And we come back to the same place over and over and over again. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting what, everybody? A different result. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm going to wonder how many people here have some of the same patterns that we had last year at this time. You don't have to raise. I'll just do it for me. <laughs> you know why? Because no matter how many times we tell ourselves that we know what we should do in the moment, no matter how many, how many times we say that when I get there again, it's going to be different this time. Oh, I'm definitely not losing it this time. Oh, I won't choose that person this time. We won't elect that person this time. Each and every time 
we make those convictions. We turn to our friends and say, whatever you do, do not open the door. Then we walk in. And we can't stay in the room. We can't stay with the waves of feelings that come the constellation concatenation of different factors that are happening so quickly that we can't even, there's no room between them, and before we know it, we're like, we're in it. And there it is again. And the fundamental question of tshuva is, can I be back where I was with the same charge, with the same energy, with the same triggers that are going like this, and somehow... have more room to play with our options, more choices. Because transformation is at the heart of the human project. And we can speak about polity, and we will. For those who will be coming back for Yom Kippur, don't miss that one. But what is personal and what is political, the political is the personal, and the personal is the political. We have it all happening right here. Our mother, Sarah, knew that, and the Torah knew that. The Torah that we will read this morning is not censored. The Torah is a free press. It doesn't need to spin itself for you to take it seriously. It doesn't need to tell you that it's perfect. The Torah, as we have received it, has warts and all. And even this morning when we read the celebration of the world, and we'll read about our heroes and try to emulate them. Even this morning, when the Torah and the rabbis knew that we'd have the biggest house that we could possibly have, it's packed. And the rabbis are thinking, okay, what are we going to, let's, let's put something really good, let's put our, our, our best foot forward. And what do we get? We get the story of our mother, Sarah. Sarah and her handmaiden, Hagar, whose name means the foreigner, the resident alien, the stranger, from the land called Egypt, the narrow place. This is from the Ramban. I should have given an attribution here from Nachmanides, who also lived in Spain in the 13th century. He writes that when Sarai, when Sarah, back in chapter 16 of the book of Genesis, she cruelly, cruelly treats Hagar and sends her away as she's pregnant with her child Yishmael. Chapter 16 of the book of Genesis. Ta'ana Sarah vativrach mipanea chata imenu bi'inui hazeh. Says the Ramban Nachmanides, Sarah oppressed her and she fled from her face, from her presence. Our mother Sarah sinned in this oppression. And Abraham too in permitting her to do so. God heard Hagar's oppression and gave her a son who would oppress the descendants of Abraham and Sarah in all kinds of oppression. Karma. Karma. Before karma became well known, it's, this is the sins of the parents visited upon the children. Now, Sarah, this is chapter 16. This morning, we're going to read about chapter 21. So in chapter 21, we 
we get ourselves to a place where Sarah now has an opportunity to do it differently in chapter 21. You would think, given that she's going to walk into the room where the monster is, she's going to be okay now. You know why? What does Sarah have in chapter 21, in the beginning of chapter 1, that she didn't have in chapter 16? She has a, a son. We can imagine her being jealous of Hagar because Hagar is giving Yishmael. And what does Sarah want more than anything in the world? Sarah wants a, a child, a son. But by chapter 21 this morning, Sarah's issue is no longer an issue. She's made it. She's got it made. She's got nothing to fear from, I mean, she's got a kid. A kid promised her she has everything she could possibly want. What could possibly be driving her in chapter 21? Because in chapter 21, we're going to read, she sends her out yet again. She's in the room with the monster. And what happens, everyone? She gives in. She's not secure yet. When I have a kid, I'll be secure. I won't be jealous. When I have X amount of money in the bank, I'll feel that nothing can... When I make it, when I have a shul that's this big, then I'll have no problems anymore. Think of all of the thought forms... When we finally elect a black president, we'll be post-racial. President Obama said at the funeral of John McCain, this is not who we are when speaking about who we are as a people, as a nation. Really? It's not who we are? The first step in Rick Carson's Taming Your Gremlin methodology that I, invite, I invited everyone to last night is this one, very simply, I free myself not by trying to be free, but by simply noticing how I am imprisoning myself in the very moment I am imprisoning myself. I highlighted in the very moment because when young Frankenstein was standing outside of the door, he had it all clear in his head. Whatever happens, he said, do not open the door, right? But he couldn't stay in the room. Sarah might have thought to herself between chapter 16 and chapter 21, if I ever have a situation where I feel jealous of Hagar ever again, I will definitely treat her well. In fact, there's no doubt that if I only have my child, then everything will be just fine. But in the moment, in the charged atmosphere where thoughts are flying a thousand miles a minute, in the newsroom when things are happening, in the shul, in your house, when it's all going on, when you're in a cab and you're late, or maybe it's Rosh Hashanah morning and you forgot to put the microphones into the bima one minute before people show up. When that is happening, that's when the rubber of tshuva and our yearning meets the road of life. And Carson says, this is a practice that you can take with you. Because Lord knows, without going back to YouTube and listening to this sermon, 
Y'all were never going to, you're never going to remember anything I say. You'll remember young Frankenstein. That's the only thing. <laughs> so here's what I'd like you to remember on this day of remembrance. Tshuva can't happen. Repair and fixing problems in our lives, in our bodies, in our families, in our culture, until we can say this is who we are and feel it. So long as it's not us. Who, Sarah, she's not someone who would kick someone out. Americans, we're not those who would, we'll fill in the blanks, don't worry. We have to be honest. And the practice of being with ourselves simply is a practice that is not easy. There is, as I said last night, three areas of our attention that we can bring our awareness to at any given moment. We can have our awareness in our body, we can have our awareness in the world around us, and we can have our awareness in the world of mind. When we are in the body noticing our feelings and sensations in the body, we are in the present moment. When we bring our awareness to the world around us through our senses, hearing, seeing, our awareness is in the world. And when we bring our awareness to that minefield called the mind, to our thoughts, our conceptions, our stories, we can either be in the past, in the present, or in the future. And the most important thing out of all of them is to be able to choose where to place your awareness. So for the next three minutes, I'm going to invite us to simply notice our bodies, and then I will give you an exercise to prepare us for the first Aliyah and the reading this morning. If your eyes are not already closed, by that I mean if I have not put you to sleep. I invite you now to close your eyes but to stay awake. And as you simply bring awareness to your body, I invite you to become curious and a noticer, an observer of sensations. Not thinking about the body, not thinking about sensations, not imagining, but feeling your body as you sit here. Now I invite you to be noticing the world around you through the senses, through sound. Just noticing awareness of all of the things that you can hear without grasping for them, without trying, without efforting awareness.
And now in the Monas of Four, the reading from the Torah to bring our own Torah, our own lives into alignment with the Torah this morning. I invite you to bring into your mind and be aware of a place in your life where you find it difficult to stay in the room. A place or pattern in your life where you feel that each and every time you make the best of intentions trying to do things differently, you find up, you wind up, you find yourself following the same pattern. And as you bring that awareness, I invite you to take a deep breath into your body. And in the final 30 seconds of silence, I invite you to invite you to decide if you'd like to stand this morning for the first Aliyah to read about Sarah's struggle with her own monster, with her own demons, her own place that found, where she found it difficult to stay in the room. And if you feel called this morning in a moment, I invite you to rise in your place and to remain standing in your place for the first Aliyah. <laughs> 